Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 26th of August, 2022. Happy Friday to you. Glorious, glorious Friday. Thank you for downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. I'm back, baby. So we're back to normal, regular order, if you're not. Uh, thank you for sticking through that and tolerating that and coming back and all of that stuff. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. You can see 30 photographs from the non covid part of the time off over there um i 30 30 is the limit there i didn't put them up at uh what you call it at derek hunter dot that locals.com because they have a limit of 10 pictures 30 limit i was already putting up more than than 30 and i had to get rid of some and then i like thought about having to pick through again and get rid of more get rid of 20 more get rid of two-thirds of it and i was like you know what i'm just to hell with it they're all open to the public at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. So you don't have to be a member to to go and see them. Beautiful pictures. Detroit, uh, Mackinac Island, the Mackinac Bridge. Highly recommend you go check it out because it costs you nothing. And it got pictures of my kids in there, which is pretty cute. Uh, so do that. And then while you're there, that's when you want to sign up for the Week in F and Review, which will be up at midnight and uh, all that good stuff and all the other bonus materials enter the contest to win the signed autographed books, blah, blah, blah. All right, that's enough. Let's get, I'm rearing to go. Let's get going. There is, of course, a lot going on in the world. Uh, another $300 billion plus just uh, set on fire yesterday by our senile president of the United States yesterday. We'll get to that in a second, but I've gotten a lot of messages, a lot of emails and everything over the time of my absence and my... Uh, what have you, my illness, the family's illness. So I want to give you an update as best I know it now, as quickly as possible. Today, my sister is going in for a lumpectomy to, uh, thankfully, they caught her breast cancer exceedingly early. And if there is such a thing, it is the uh, the least deadly type of breast cancer. So they caught it when it was the size of a half a grain of rice. She's going in to have that removed and some lymph nodes removed, I think, to, for testing or something like that. She came up to see us at my dad's, but never actually I never actually saw her. I was the only one sick at the time. Never actually saw her because I had tried to take a nap when she got there. And then I came out and immediately like went to bed and was never within 20 feet of her and was never in the same I was never out for more than, I don't know, 30 seconds going from one bedroom to the other. So far, luckily, thankfully, she's tested negative and she'll have her procedure today. That's good. My dad is doing well. He's on Paxlovid. He's got one more day's worth of that to go on. Um, he had a cough, a phlegmy cough, but at least as of now, it hasn't been too bad it's actually been getting better and to talk to him you'd never know he was sick at all he uh he uh he sounds normal and uh that's good he never had a temperature well, he, actually when he came back up to his place on sunday tried to get out of town to avoid getting sick um didn't work when he came back he uh he looked like hell 
and he sounded like hell. His nose was literally running, like dripping. And he wanted, as like I told him, we're, he wanted us to leave first so he wouldn't get us sick. And I said, that's not how it works. We got you sick. We can't pass it back. Families would never get better if you could keep passing it back and forth to one another. So I said, uh, you know, no, we're going to go to the uh, clinic. We're going to go to the, it was a Sunday. We're going to go to urgent care. We're going to get you checked out. And we're going to get you on Paxlovid or monoclonal antibodies or whatever they do. And he was hesitant, but then I basically made it clear that that was not going to stop me from annoying the hell out of him. So he, and he, he was sick too. So he said, all right, all right, fine. We started off to go to the clinic and I was looking, there's a clinic maybe 26, mile, 20, 26 minutes from him. It's like two and a half stars. Now it's Google Maps or whatever, and there was only like three reviews or something like that, but whatever. And I, I just, I'd had experiences at clinics that were good, and I've had experiences at clinics that were bad. And I said, you know, it'd be uh, probably just much better if we go to the hospital, right? If we just go to the hospital... It'll probably be much better, much easier, and uh, you'll get better care. So he agreed without a fight. We went to the hospital, and uh, it was empty again. It was a, had now. I don't recommend this, but if you have to, if you're under the threat of a medical emergency or medical issues, and have some vacation time coming up. Um, or you just want to spend some sick days in, in some lovely surroundings, go to northern Michigan, especially around Grayling, because we made four trips, I made four trips, to the emergency room over the course of three days. Three with the girls and one with my dad. And never once did we have to wait more than five minutes. Never once. I mean, I had to wait a couple of hours when they took my dad in, they wouldn't let me go in there because I was COVID positive too. But other than that, you know, with the girls, we just right in, you sat down for a couple of minutes in the little isolation booth, the cone of silence. And they took you into the, the back of the hospital. It wasn't busy. Now I was told by one of the nurses, he said that I, normally it's super busy. Like, I don't, I don't care what normally is for us. It was not super busy. And we got what we needed done. But my dad got his in there, got his Paxlovid and uh, got a steroid to help him breathe. I set him up. I bought a couple of vaporizers, those Vicks vaporizer things. He'd uh, He's had humidifiers before, but he never used the full-blown warm vaporizer with the liquid. So his house smells like a menthol cigarette right now without the smoke aspect of it. But it's good. Smells like mint. Smells like somebody's sitting there eating junior mints. But that's good because that helped him breathe. So yesterday he uh, turned 82 and uh, he was doing just fine. He couldn't figure out how to work an iPad, answer the phone or answer a video chat on an iPad. Took about five minutes and three attempts. But we got it. We were able to sing him happy birthday and all of that. Didn't have the heart to tell him that my you know five-year-old Quinn could answer freaking FaceTime thing. But then he dropped the term FaceTime to my sister, Stacy, uh, when she called up and said, well, let me call you back. I'm FaceTiming with Derek. I'm like, whoa, somebody's hip all of a sudden. So he's getting it. So anyway, that was it. We did have a, you know, it was going a little stir crazy in there because you're stuck in the house in the woods. I was the one who ventured out to get all the supplies and everything because I was 
Weirdly and sadly, I was the one that got everybody sick, seemingly. we all, I think we probably all got exposed at the same time, but I was the one that came down uh, with the symptoms, at least in my family. My dad, we definitely exposed him. I think it was a lady at a farmer's market selling corn. If I had to guess, the only person I vaguely remember having a cough uh, was the lady selling corn at the farmer's market up there. And uh, I bought, it was like buy a baker's dozen for whatever. And so I bought a baker's dozen. So I was there picking through corn for longer. I should have, If I'd have just gone with six corn, it might not have ever happened. But I went with the baker's dozen. So uh, that was the only person I could think of. And I got sick a couple of days later, and then everybody else got, my, my wife and kids got sick the next day, and then my dad got sick a few days later. Just, you know, sucked, but we did it. And I tested negative for the first time yesterday. Not that I hadn't tested myself in like three or four days, but uh, my friend who's a doctor said, you're going to test positive for a very long time. And I didn't. I don't know. I probably could test today and test positive again, like the Reverend Dr. Jill Biden, maybe have a bounce back, but I didn't take any medicine. All I took was, uh, you know, I love NyQuil, not just because it's fun, but because it's effective. But I bought, like I was looking for the most uh, like severe or extra strength or Mondo strength version of NyQuil. And all they had was the day and night pack of DayQuil and NyQuil with honey at the uh, the Rite Aid up there. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, damn it, I don't really want it with honey. I, want, I, like, I like my medicine to taste like crap. I want it to know, I want to know that I, I'm taking medicine, right? I don't want it to taste like candy. Kids' medicine, you want it to taste like candy because otherwise they just spit it up. But uh, regular medicine, I want it to be good. And uh, this stuff tasted like, it didn't taste like medicine. It just tasted gross, if that makes sense. Like NyQuil with honey is what it was. It works. I mean, I guess if you don't like the taste of NyQuil, I don't know. But uh, it made me yearn for sweet candy, melted sugar, you know, sucker kind of candy that the medicine the kids take. Oh, and yesterday, you think you're out of it. You think you're on the drive home, which is about 10 hours, 10 and a half hours. I did speed a lot. Um, Quinn threw up in the car, but then she sometimes they both throw up in the car, so it wasn't like all that unexpected. And then yesterday morning, you get up and Quinn's laying on the floor and like, okay, you're just playing with the cats. What are you doing? Like, I don't feel good. And then she ended up throwing up. So I gave her some anti-nausea medicine and she has been good ever since. Knock wood. And this morning she woke up and she, I saw her again laying on the floor at the top of the stairs. I'm like, oh no, what are you, what's wrong? What and she was just laying there petting a cat. So hopefully, hoffentlich auf Deutsch, hopefully we have passed the hurdle. We have passed the hurdle. I don't know. So thanks to everybody who wrote. Thanks to everybody who inquired. Thanks to all of that. I never had more than a, 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 a I'll tell you a couple more things just in case you're concerned about COVID for yourself. Um, as the, the doctors, they checked my lungs. I made sure that they checked my lungs while I was in the emergency room with the kids just because I wanted to know. Um, I never had a fever of more than 100.8. I, I checked the fevers. I checked the temperatures regularly of the girls. They spiked, Quinn spiked at 104.4, which is 
why we had one of the trips to the emergency room. But And they both were at 103.6 at one point whilst I was trying to cool them down in the tub, which is why we had the first trip to the emergency room. Um, so adults, my dad never, he had a fever of 100 point something change, 100 and change on uh, Sunday when he came back in, when he was looking and feeling like hell. But he never had a high fever. And in talking to the doctor, if you're uh, out there right now, just so you know, it's not 100% uniform, but it is, according to the doctor, the prevalent case. Whatever strain of COVID is making the round now, Omicron, OX74, whatever, Windows 3.9, whatever it is, and have found this to be true, is centered in the nose, which is good. If you've got to have an infection... Uh, of this virus, that's where you want it centered, in the nose. It makes you, it lost my voice last week. You know, you heard my voice, it was gone. Um, And you can't, it's tough to breathe through the nose, although most of the time it wasn't, it just occasionally was. But my cough, to the extent that I had a cough, was because my sinuses were draining from my nose to the back of my throat. They didn't go into my chest. It didn't go into my chest, thank God. Knock on wood, is that. But the doctor said that it is, this strain is focused in the face, in the the sinuses. And so it's much, that's, it's not that it's, you know, because they say it's a much weaker version. Now I understand it better. It's not a weaker version in that, you know, well, the uh, original one, Delta, could bench press 500 pounds. This one can only bench press 350 pounds. No, it's where it centers in the body. The impact on the body is weaker or is different. It's much better. It's much more survivable in that if it's just snot in your nose and it's not choking mucus in your lungs preventing you from getting oxygen into your blood and therefore keeping your body alive that's different it's much much different it's much much better it increases the survivability rate you know exponentially so if you're out there and you're concerned and i'm not saying that there's nothing to be concerned about my wife got hit pretty hard with it i didn't but my wife did uh, and she still got a cough but she had a little bit of a cough beforehand she got to go get that checked out but some people get whacked by it and others don't. That if it is uh, one of those things that you're concerned about, it seems to be, and it's not the only version that's circulating, but it is the most prevalent version that is circulating, seems to be focused in the schnoz. So good for that. That's good news. And that will help everybody, provided you can keep it there. Obviously, it can spread anywhere. You want to take care of it once you get it. So it doesn't spread because anything left unchecked will spread. All right, now let's uh, enough about my family's uh, sicknesses. And let's talk about the country's sickness, shall we? Joe Biden, he really is what ails us. It really is um, one of those. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this from the get-go. Once Donald Trump suspended student loan repayments at the beginning of COVID and the IRS like postponed the tax deadline and all remember all those things that they were doing it became all I guess maybe after it was extended like the first three months thing you probably could have gotten away with but once it became extended and extended and extended and extended 
there was almost no way that there wasn't going to have to be some kind of student loan forgiveness. I don't, it's not a value judgment. I'm not telling you that it should be this way. I'm just telling you that politically, politically, there was almost no way for there not to be some kind of student loan forgiveness. The Democrats are very smart when it comes to these sorts of things. They see an opportunity and they seize the opportunity. You look at Republicans. I've been saying this for for years now. I'll continue to say it. Their every advantage, politically, circumstantially, exists for Republicans right now. The economy, not great. Inflation, through the roof. Gas prices, still ridiculously high, certainly higher than when Joe Biden took off, almost double than when Joe Biden took office. All of these things that should make it fairly easy to run on. And Republicans are doing what? That's not a rhetorical question, really. It's a a legitimate one where you're sitting there going, okay, what what are you doing? It's not like you can, you know, you can blame Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is the lead Republican in the House of Representatives. It is his responsibility to win back the House of Representatives. And the odds are still slightly in favor of Republicans doing just that. They just keep dropping and dropping and dropping. Why? Because why should you vote for a Republican? I get it. I pay attention to the news. You pay attention to the news. Democrats screwed things up. Democrats are doing a horrible job. Democrats are the reason for the problems that we're having. It's their policies can be directly traced to this. That's all well and good. You don't hear anybody out making that case. I guess if you watch Fox News, there are Republicans out there making that case. But honestly... If Republicans don't have already have the voters of Fox viewers of Fox News as their voters, they're more screwed than you know. You can't win by just preaching to the choir. You can't. You've got to run on something as well. A horrible campaign strategy is to say, well, the worst campaign strategy is what I think, sadly, what I think Donald Trump did in the 2020 election said, vote for me because of all the things I've done. I did this for you. I did that for you. Like, no, elections are about what comes next. They're not a reward for what you've done. What are you going to do next? I think he could have easily destroyed Joe Biden by 15 million votes if he had put together a real good strategy message about what he wanted to accomplish in a second term. As it stands, I'm not really sure what he wanted to do in a second term. I hope he learned that lesson. I hope if he doesn't run, whoever runs, learned that lesson that elections are about the future. They're not rewards for past deeds. But you also have to be for something. Being I'm not them isn't particularly effective. It can be under really uh, strict circumstances where things are so terrible, where you go, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as there. Then you can go and, and win that way. But it's not very often. It's not very often. So you've got Democrats out there doing horrible things, but they're seen as doing something. Whereas you look to Republicans and you go, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's like trying to borrow your car 
your brother's car from your brother, right? He's got a nice new car or a nice car, whatever, and you want to go out and cruise around and impress the chicks and give the false impression that you have some money and everything when you don't have any money. And he goes, well, what are you going to do? I'm thinking about it. I might loan you the car, but what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And you got to, you, you really just want to say, I just want to kind of go where everybody is and be seen in your car and, you know, make chicks think that it's mine. You know, I want to make the girl I like think that I at least have access to this car. That's what you want. But you go, well, I got to go to the grocery store. Then I got to go to get a pair of pants. I got to do this, that, and the other thing. And like, you don't want to do that. They can see through that. But you got to have something good that you want to do. Why should I loan you my car? Why should I give you my vote? You not being them might be good enough for some people. And you going on Fox and griping about Democrats is very good for Republicans. But if you don't have the Republicans' votes at this point, we're already screwed. This is why, and it's not just McCarthy, because there isn't anybody out there. And the media ecosystem is kind of set up to do this. Democrats go to Democrat media. Republicans go to Republican media and they pretend like they're accomplishing something. They're not. Meanwhile, Republicans' natural lead based on the circumstances are, is being frittered away. Still early, but it is being frittered away. Somebody's got to step up and do something at some point. It would be very nice if somebody grew up and said, here's what we're for. Here's what we're going. You know what Republicans are for. You can articulate it, but now put it into legislation. The beautiful thing about the 1984 election, the House takeover for the first time in 40 years by Republicans, is pretty simple. They ran on the contract with America. Now, what was the contract with America? It wasn't ideals. It wasn't vagaries. The contract with America was 10 actual pieces of legislation that had already been written and already been introduced, but hadn't gotten votes in the Congress because Democrats wouldn't let them have a vote. A balanced budget amendment, uh, this uh, welfare, all these things. They were very specific things in the contract with America. Republicans ran on what? Vote for us and we will hold votes on these issues. They were popular issues, term limits, things like that. They didn't get through. You need a certain amount of people because it had to be a constitutional amendment. But they, uh, they held those votes. They promised to, to hold those votes, which attracted a lot of people because they were pretty you know, unambiguous. This is what we are going to do. Vote for us, and this is what we are going to do. And so people said, I'm going to vote for you. Right now, what do you get? Never since then, and that's, I don't, the simplicity of the contract with America is its beauty and it is why it worked not that people are stupid and it has to be simple for anybody to understand but it was because it was so simple that anybody could understand it if you wanted to go more in depth on each one of those issues you absolutely could and you could do so pretty easily but you everybody understood the gist of what was going on even if you didn't like or understand all 10 points there are three four five points in there we're like yeah you know what i like this we should we should be living within our means we should be doing this i'd like to have term limits blah 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 pretty basic stuff and since it was already written legislation it showed 
a uh, a belief in those pieces of legislation, those ideals. They're like, okay, they actually mean it because they're ready to go with it. Since then, the concept of a contract with America sadly has been toyed with. I don't think it's ever been executed. Maybe they sort of executed one kind of once. But they've been toying, toying with it ever since. We should really do it. And then you end up with these big 30,000-foot pictures. We believe in independence and liberty and the, the, the uh, rights of the individual. Like, okay, shut up. This isn't what the contract with America was. This isn't what the contract with America was about. What are you going to do? And the problem is you got too many Republicans who don't understand that. You've got Republicans in leadership who don't understand that. And so they go for this big picture thing and then you end up with 200 different Republican members not running on anything unified. You got 435, well, they don't all run, but 435 different races where the Republican is trying to figure out what it is the party stands for. They're having to answer for what the party stands for while talking about what they want to do. Well, okay, great. You get lost in the weeds. You get down in the woods. You get into this garbage and you end up screwing yourself over because you're talking about things nobody understands. You talk about these concepts. You talk about these very specific pieces of legislation. The pieces of legislation in the contract with America were not convoluted. They were not complex. They weren't difficult to understand. We you could do it now. We want to secure our southern border. Okay, that's a great tagline. And you can even get a little more specific. We want to build a wall. We want to have more ICE agents. We want to do what, what this, that, or the other thing. We want to expand immigration courts to expedite the deportation process for people who are denied their asylum claims. We want to make sure that people are not, we want to end catching, whatever you want to do it. However you want to frame it, you could put up a couple of bullet points pretty easily. Instead, I don't see that. You got to assume that's what Republicans would do if they take over, but you have really nothing to base that on because why? Because none of them are out there talking about it, or they're talking about various parts of it. Grousing about how the border sucks is all well and good. The border sucks, and Biden sucks on the border. What are you going to do about it? Okay. What are you going to do about? It? That's the question you have to answer, and Republicans aren't doing that. Anyway, the uh, back to the student loan thing. When you, you sit there and you, you know what Democrats stand for. As bad as it is, you know what they stand for. You got to kind of get Republicans together and say, all right, these are the five. I would, so the problem is once you start to do a list by committee, you end up with a list that's like 7,000. 10 is the maximum you could do. Five is probably better in the age of TikTok and Twitter. So five points of what every Republican who signs on to it is willing to do. Five pieces of legislation. Shouldn't be that hard. They just don't want to do it. Sadly, far too many Republicans want to be a cloud. They want to be nebulous. They don't want to be held to anything. They don't want to have to answer for anything other than to say, we're not, we're not Democrats. Well, congratulations. The tree outside, the dog taking, uh, relieving itself on the fire hydrant across the street is not a Democrat. It's not really going to inspire me to vote for him, though.
That's what they seem to be missing is you actually have to get people to vote for you. So anyway, when uh, the student loan forgiveness thing started, the forbearance, and it extended and extended and extended, there was really nothing that was going to happen that was going to change that could make that come back, at least not in the form that it was beforehand. You can't give people two and a half years off from a responsibility and expect them to be cool with that responsibility coming back. You get conditioned and you spend the money and everything and you go, I can't, no, this is, you're screwing me over. They're not screwing you over. They're just setting things back to the way they were, which I thought we all wanted to get back to normal. Like, no, I want to get back to the new normal where I'm not paying this every month. Blah, blah, blah. And so whether it was Trump or whether it was Biden, somebody was going to have to probably do either take some serious medicine and go, I'm sorry, tough, you're getting your student loans payments back. Or they had to go, we're going to have to do something about student loans. With Democrats grousing about student loans, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing, and the mythical person who takes out $250,000 to get an undergraduate degree in theoretical stage movement or something, and you just go, you're too damn stupid for words. You did this to yourself. It's hard to feel sorry for somebody who keeps hitting themselves in the head with a hammer when they complain about a headache. That's what some of this is. But Joe Biden tried to split the the difference. He tried to split the difference. The Democrats want all of it, quote unquote, forgiven, which isn't forgiven. They want us, the taxpayers, to, to eat it. And Joe doesn't want to do much of anything. So he, he recognizes that he's wildly unpopular with young people. This is wildly popular with young people. Maybe this will help Democrats this fall. There's no financial reason to do this. There is no constitutional authority to do this. There is no legal reason or urgency to do this. There is simply that Joe Biden is not doing well. He's not popular right now. And Democrats are still doing poorer than they would like in the midterms. And so that's what this is. This is a $300 billion purchase or attempted purchase of votes for the fall. For my money, I think Joe did it too soon. The people who are most desperate and clamoring for this so-called forgiveness are already the least likely to vote. They also are the least likely to have an attention span that will last through the weekend, let alone through November. Doing this now will get people excited. Will it get people to the polls in three months is another story completely. I don't think so. The people more likely to go to the polls in three months are the ones who are pissed off that their money is being used to pay off somebody else's debt. You go to a lawyer and you go, oh, all right, I'm now, I need a lawyer because of whatever. And you recognize, you realize that you're paying that lawyer's student loans while that lawyer's making more than you. Because you didn't go to college. Most Americans don't go to college. So, 
Joe Biden kind of had to do something because he never definitively said he would never do anything. He hemmed and hawed about how it might be a bad idea to forgive all student loans, but maybe $10,000, maybe some will take a look at it, blah, blah, blah. He's trying to have it both ways. So I don't think it's going to work because it's going to tick off the people who are even getting the the forgiveness. Because if you got $50,000 in student loans and you're getting rid of $10,000 of it, you're going, what about the other 40? I can't afford any of it. I don't want to pay any of it. You feel entitled to that 40. And if you paid your own way or didn't go, you are pissed off that you're paying for anybody else. So this is actually the dumbest move Joe Biden could make, which is good for Republicans. It's still bad for the country, but at least if they play it right, could be good for Republicans. So the details, as always, the devil is in the details when it comes to anything. This isn't a piece of legislation, mind you. This doesn't even seem to be ready for prime time. This is what's so messed up about this whole, I mean, there's so much that's messed up about this but this is one of the the parts that's really messed up about this is it's an executive order where does the president get the authority for this well he gets it from a a bill that a law that granted the president emergency powers to be able to forgive debts in times of emergency or war or something like that had nothing to do with student loans but he's using that coupled with covid to try and forgive this. This is going to be challenged legally, but I got to tell you, if if you got ten or it's either ten or twenty thousand dollars that you get forgiven, right? So if you had Pell grants, it's twenty thousand dollars you get forgiven. Which, to my mind, a Pell grant is free money that the government gave you. It's a grant. You should actually get less because you bar theoretically the Pell Grant would have allowed you to borrow less. But whatever, he's trying to skew it towards people who are low income. And there's a difference between being low income when you took the loans and being low income now. If you took out loans to go to college because you were low income, okay, fine. But if after graduation and years after graduation, you're still low income, I would question your choices, your life choices, not just maybe your your major or your school or what have you, but your career choices. At some point, you should theoretically move up in your career choices and be able to afford these things. That's neither here nor there. But you get twice as much forgiveness. And every time I say forgiveness, I want to remind you, since this is an audio medium, and this is an air quotes, forgiveness. And when you... You get twice as much forgiveness if you had a Pell Grant. But you still get ten grand forgiveness if you didn't get a Pell Grant, provided you make less than $120,000 a year. Actually, provided you make less than $120,000, $125,000 a year in either 2020 or 2021. That's the criteria. Right now, you could have you know doubled your income. You could have come out in medical school. You're doing your uh, your internship or whatever, your residency. Not exactly the highest paid thing in the world. And uh, you're working your ass off. And now you're making a, a good bunch of money because you're done with that. Or you go to law school and then you, you clerk for you know federal court, state court, whatever, maybe the Supreme Court. 
you're not making a ton of money while you're clerking. So your 2020 income was next to nothing. But in 2021, you got that corporate gig, yo. You're taken care of. You are hooked up. You're making mad money. Well, you go, well, hell, I'm not going to use my 2021 income taxes. I'll use my 2020 income taxes. And you'll qualify. There's still a lot that has to be shaken out. Because this is what happens when you do things on the fly. This is how bad it could get. Remember, Joe Biden, originally the plan was forgiveness of $10,000 for people making up to $150,000 or couples making $300,000. They changed that. Still, $120,000 is nothing to sniff at. It's funny, though, that like an AOC who still whines about, I still owe student loan money. She won't qualify unless she gets married to her fiancé by the end of the... Well, no, it had to have been retroactively. Maybe because even if her, her fiancé is a degenerate who makes nothing, just sits around and plays Xbox all day, and then together they make just her salary, then she would qualify. But apparently you have to have to have already been uh, done the deed. But again, who knows, since this thing is still being formulated. I want you to uh, listen to, his name is Barat Remurti, I think. His name is something close to that. I don't really care. He's the director of the, Poli- the Council of Economic Advisors to the President of the United States. He was at the White House podium yesterday talking about this proposal. This Actually, it's not even a proposal. This order by the President. It's not as though there is something to debate here. And then he goes on to discuss and compare this $300 billion and who supposedly benefits from it to the Republican bill on the tax cuts under the president, the previous administration, the Trump administration. Aside from comparing apples to apples, making, you know, allowing people who earn money to keep more of it versus the uh, people who took out way more loan than they wanted or needed or whatever and didn't want to pay it back. That's apples. That's apples to, I don't know, toenail fungus. It's not even close. He then refers to that Republican piece of legislation. He he refers, leftists always refer to tax cuts as spending. They didn't pay for it. They didn't pay for this spending and the tax cuts. Like, well, it's not your money. You just don't take the money. You're not taking as much money. Democrats view every dollar as theirs, and they allow you to keep some of it. But he refers to what Joe Biden is doing as our bill. It is not a bill. If it were a bill, there would be a chance for people to amend it. There would be a chance for people to study it, to understand what it does, to set parameters, to actually score it, to uh, put it in the Congressional Budget Office and have them tell you what they think it will cost. They're usually wrong, but at least that's how Congress functions. That's how a bill is passed. And then it would allow for the House and Senate to vote on it if it were a bill. It is not a bill. It is executive action. It is one guy, Daddy Biden Bucks, buying votes or attempting to buy votes with our credit card. But he makes the case anyway, and I think is an important distinction because you can really only it shows wild ignorance of how our government works 
It also really shows a misunderstanding or lack of concern or what have you about how our uh, about what money is it our money they view all of the money in the country as their money and they allow us to keep some again uh, as ambassador rice said we welcome having this debate if you look at this chart you can see that 87% of the dollars overall are going to to people making under $75,000 a year uh, and zero dollars, zero percent, are going to anybody making over $125,000 in individual income. And, and just because I've seen some criticism from, from Republicans on this today, it's instructive to compare that to what the Republican tax bill did in 2017. It's basically the reverse. Fifteen percent of the benefits went to people making under $75,000 a year, and 85 percent went to people making over $75,000 a year. And if you zoom in even more on that, uh, people making over $250,000 a year got nearly half of the benefits of the GOP tax bill and are getting $0 under our bill. So uh, we think that this is a classic example of what the president talks about in middle-up uh, economics. It's going to families that really need it, uh, and the vast majority of it uh, is going to people making under $75,000 a year. They're getting $0 under our bill. You don't have a bill. You have the president of the United States decreeing something to be. That is decidedly not a bill. You recognize that you are a member of the party that screams nonstop to the point of nausea, this is what democracy looks like, right? Yet, this is what autocracy looks like. This is what totalitarianism looks like. This is what people, this is is what dictators do. Now, I want to get in the Wayback Machine for a second, back to 2020, when Elizabeth Warren was running for office. She's, she was, the on the national stage, the person who picked up this mantle. If it's something wildly destructive, you dig far enough back, you will find a progressive really at the heart of it. And Elizabeth Warren is that progressive. She ran on forgiving all student loan debt. Now, this should have been a little bit of a warning for Joe Biden and his team of handlers in the White House. They're desperately trying to find a way to make Joe Biden popular with young people. You'd say, well, uh, how'd that work out for the originator of the idea, Elizabeth Warren? And the answer is, it didn't work out. It didn't work out at all for Elizabeth Warren. Actually, probably helped her lose because I think most people look at this and go, this is crap. Even Democrats go, wait, I paid off my debts. Why can't you? Don't take out a loan. You can't tell me. They, they always say, all oh, these predatory lenders. These pr- Nobody's, okay, maybe they, they put the screws to you. They said, what do I got to do to get you in the student loan today? But you didn't misunderstand what the concept of a loan is, did you? As if you did, you're too dumb and you probably shouldn't have been in school in the first place. But a father who did the right thing by his daughter confronted Elizabeth Warren. And this is how weak her argument is. Listen, it's it's a little hard to hear because there's some crowd noise, but you'll be able to hear it. She has no answer. None of these people have any answer when somebody says, well, how is this fair to the people who didn't go to college, the vast majority of the American public, or the people who went to college and took care of their own way, worked their way through it, did acted responsibly? How do you, how, what is that, what do they get? And how is this fair to them? She has literally absolutely no answer whatsoever. Uh, I just want to ask one question. My daughter's getting out of school. I've saved all my money. She doesn't have any student loan. Am I going to get my money back? Of course. 
So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. No, it's not anybody got screwed. Of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations, I saved my money. He made more than I did. But I worked a double shift, I worked extra, my daughter's work, she was 10. So you're laughing. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. We did the right thing, and we get screwed. I appreciate that. She had nothing. I appreciate your time. No, you don't. Now, on the way out of the uh, whatever East Room or whatever it was where Joe Biden made his uh, teleprompter resuscitation yesterday, he was asked a very similar question. He couldn't answer whether or not it was fair to people who didn't take out loans. Instead, at least Elizabeth Warren kind of, in this next clip, you'll hear Biden, but at least Elizabeth Warren just kind of said, all right, I I got no answer. I'm not even going to try because there is no good answer. Other than I don't care or that doesn't advantage me politically, there is no good answer. Joe Biden tries to come up with an answer. And he does a horrible, 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 god-awful, terrible job of it. Because he's it's not written for him by staff. Is this unfair to people who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans? Is it fair to people who, in fact... Uh do not own the multi-billion dollar businesses they see why these guys get them all attached is that fair what do you think what the hell does that have to do with anything multi-billion dollar tax breaks you mean uh what taking less of somebody else's money how is it okay if you're saying you're a champion of young people if you're a champion of the poor and the middle class the vast majority of the middle class don't go to college but they make up the bulk, numbers-wise, of the taxpayers in this country, meaning they're going to have to do the heaviest lifting as a percentage of their taxes paid to pay for your attempted bribery of the electorate. How is that fair to them? Well, is it fair to the billionaire corporations? This is, this, they're unserious people. I was surprised that this question was asked by somebody who wasn't Peter Ducey, but um, not surprised by the answer. Actually, I was a little bit surprised by how bad the answer was. Not surprised that the answer didn't get more attention in the mainstream media. You got to wonder, like, these people ask these questions. Why don't they ever, why don't their networks, why don't their papers ever run the answers that they get? when Democrats look bad from them. And then you go, oh, it's because Democrats look bad from them. That's why they don't. Very interesting audio, though. Tells you how out of touch and how devoid of answers they are to the basics. And then you sit there and you go, right, Republicans, if you can't message against that, quit. Get out of the way and get somebody who can. So now you got Biden trying to say, well, what are you, what's, is that fair to billionaires? And you're going, that's not the question, Mr. President. You're the one out there talking about how it needs to be fair to the poor and the middle class. And you're Mr. Poor and Middle Class Champion, Joe. Uh, you're the one who named yourself Middle Class Joe. There's not a single human being on the planet who ever referred to Joe Biden unironically as middle class Joe or lunch bucket Joe, but he calls himself those things all the time based off of nothing. Joe Biden's entire existence is a testament to the power of uh, the willingness to stick to a lie 
and how if you stick to it. You want to talk about the big lie. If you stick to it, there will be a constituency, probably in a, a small state, who will buy it. Who will buy into it. Go, oh, you know, Joe cares about the middle class. Joe cares about the little guy. Yeah, Joe... Joe cares about it. he's he's getting filthy rich, but he cares he's losing sleep in his uh, five thousand thread count sheet bed about the the plight of the poor. He just he can't can't possibly all the money that he's worth is accrued during his so called public service too. He cares very deeply about the poor. Well, Karine Jean Pierre. She's his, she's the White House press secretary. She's historic. I don't know if you know this or not. She's historic because she's black, she's a lesbian, and she's an immigrant. She's three times historic. What are you? What are you? At most, you're two times historic. At most. And that's like stretching something to make it historic. Um, so she's got you. She's better than you because she's historic. It just so happens that she sucks at her job. My God, she's like one of the worst people at her job I've ever seen in my life. When it is not written in her book, in her three-ring binder, that uh, is handed to her every day, presumably by Chief of Staff Ron Klain, updated by him at night, she has no answer. She has nothing. She can barely read what is written in that book. And she can only, when it's a topic of controversy, she sticks to that. She was asked yesterday a very simple question. You're forgiving these uh, student loan debts. How's it paid for? Because what are they running around? Now, the Democrats are running around saying, we are, the White House is saying, we cut the deficit. We have cut the deficit. You've cut the deficit, yet the national debt has gone up uh, significantly. Anyway, you know, it's weird. You cut the deficit, but you're spending more money. Well, it's, we're spending it differently, and it's accounting gimmicks. And if you dare try to do your taxes the way the government does theirs or does their books, you do your that books and your business that way, you'd be in jail. You'd be in jail in a heartbeat. And nobody in government would have any sympathy for you. They would be out there to get you. They'd be calling you a fraud if you just simply used the accounting gimmicks they do. The Biden administration just set on fire 730-some-odd billion dollars in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which is hilarious. They've stopped even talking about the anything to do with inflation with that thing, and they're just hyping green, green, green. So that's $700 billion plus. And then this, on the low end, is estimated to cost, what, $300 billion dollars that means if you're keeping score at home joe biden has created a whole cloth and spent a trillion dollars just in the month of august and it ain't even over yet don't get him started god knows what else he's going to try to do by the end of the month maybe he'll give every illegal alien a home or some home home prices are slumping here's an idea we're going to give everybody in the country illegally a home we'll give them uh, we'll underwrite their mortgage it'll be wonderful that'll increase demand maybe that will get people to love me and vote for my party in november i joke but all good humor is based in reality and that's why you chuckle Anyway, Karine Jean-Pierre, who again is unequivocally historic, was asked a very simple, basic question. Who's paying for this? Who's paying for this? If I give you a $1,000 loan and you pay it back, you've 
paid for it. If I give you a $1,000 loan and you don't pay it back, I've paid for it. It's paid for. Somebody, that $1,000 is gone into the ether, into whatever it is you do when you get your hand on the $1,000. It's gone. If you don't earn the money and pay me back, I've paid for whatever it is. If you bought a new TV, say, man, I really need a TV. My TV died and it's just there's nothing to do in my house. I don't have a TV. Like I, I'll get money next next week, but could you maybe loan me a thousand bucks and I'll buy the TV and then I'll give you the money next week? All right, I'll give you. Well, that thousand bucks paid for that TV. That TV is paid for. That thousand bucks is gone. And whether you pay me back or not, it's already paid for. It doesn't just disappear. If you don't pay me back, I don't magically get a thousand dollars in my bank account. I don't. Uh, the the TV company manufacturer or seller. It doesn't somehow split the difference with me. The Best Buy doesn't go, hey, man, I heard that uh, that Earl borrowed a thousand bucks to buy a TV, and then he didn't pay you back. When he got the money, he kind of split down. He, he just he ghosted you. Sorry about that. Here's 500. We'll, we'll both eat it a little bit. Best Buy ain't going to do that. Somebody pays, and it's me. So who's paying for this? You know the answer because you have a reflective surface in your home. But Karine Jean-Pierre, the historic press secretary, can't do that. So she begins to toss a word salad that makes absolutely no sense and doesn't come anywhere close to the topic at hand. It's a thing of beauty. It's a couple of clips here. Again, here's what we have done. Here's what here's a lot about how much it might cost, it might not cost. Who is paying for this? What we are saying is the the work that this administration has done, the work that the Democrats in Congress has done, is actually there. And you see that the 1.7 trillion uh, deficit in deficit uh, deduction that you see is is going to benefit us in being able to do something for the middle class, to do something just, for the middle class. But when you this is about doing something for people who make less than $125,000, $1.7 trillion. That's what we've been able to do. She has no idea. Oh, by the way, $125,000, $100,000 puts you probably in the top 5% of earners in this country. They never give you the full context because they don't want you to have it. Um, and the vast majority, of it, it, it's income and it's all they're not counting your net worth so if you have a ton of money in stocks if you are um well and if you made a fortune off of bitcoin doesn't really matter as long as you didn't do it in 2021 or 2020 it's all good but you can't who's paying for this well we're we're gonna now it's kind of funny they're talking about 300 billion dollars poofing disappearing and about $4 billion when they start the repayment. The Biden also extended the forbearance process until the end of the year. No more student loan payments. It'll be interesting to see if he actually goes through that. He says this is the last time, but we've heard that song before. So $4 billion in student loan payments is going to offset $300 billion in student loan forgiveness. Is that what Karine Jean-Pierre? Is it historic math too? Might be historic math too. But when you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt. So but who is paying for what, this? 
And then I'll give you the second part. We lifted the pause, right? We're going to lift the pause uh, at the end of this year, which is going to matter, right? Which is going to offset uh, a lot of what, what we're doing as well. Uh, when you think about the, the $4 billion that are going, that's going to go back uh, into, as, as revenue, back into uh, this process of folks uh, paying, paying, right, their college tuition, that matters as well. So we are doing this in a smart way. We're doing this in a way that's going to be effective. Uh, we're doing in this a way that keeps to the president's promise on giving people who need some breathing room. She is so wildly stupid. You're forgiving, quote unquote, $300 billion worth of debt. And you're going to collect $4 billion in loan repayments. That's not going to offset anything to do with the $300 billion that is being forgiven. Again, using the insane version of the word forgiven. It's not going to offset anything. Why? Because that $300 billion is owed too. It's owed. So it's not like... It's, it's all owed. You're going to get $4 billion in payments this year to offset nothing. You would maybe get... $5 billion back this year if you didn't so-called forgive that $300 billion. So you're actually still screwing everybody over. I hate to break it to you, but it's just simple math. They're just pretending that, well, we're 300 in forgiveness, but we're getting four back. So that's going to help offset these things. No, 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 no. You're owed five, technically or six, or whatever it is, or whatever it would be, if everybody started repaying. They don't talk about it. Ducey still goes back for another bite of the apple. What the hell are you talking about? None of this makes any sense. Now, it might make Corinne Jean... I'd like to see Corinne Jean-Pierre's tax returns. I want to see how she does her tax returns, if this math makes any sense to her. It doesn't. She's just... Yeah, you got to go, is she stupid or a liar? And more often than not, you have to fall on the side of a liar because they're lying. Who needs to bring the room? I just, I just laid out, I just laid out for you. No, Peter, I just laid out for you how we're seeing this process and why this matters. Again, I just laid out, I just. I just laid out, because of the work that we have done in the economy, because of the American Rescue Plan, uh, because of uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, and because all of this work that this president has done is actually has brought down our deficit by $1.7 trillion, unlike what Republicans did when they added to our deficit $2 trillion and did not care at all or thought about how this was going to be paid for, they did not actually put in a process or thought th think about how we're going to do this in a smart way. This is not how this administration is doing it. Where's that guy in Iraq who threw a shoe at George W. Bush when you need him? Can we get that guy back over here and put him in, get him a, a press credential from maybe the, uh, the Washington Post or something? So everyone, somebody needs to do something. When you're listening to this garbage, you're just going, this is, you're, not, you're lying. Stop it. The worst part isn't that Karine Jean-Pierre, who is historic, is full of it and is dumb and is lying. That's, that's to be expected. She's a liberal progressive Democrat. It's that Peter Ducey is the only person in the entire room asking this question. They all sit there and watch this exchange, and not one of them comes back with a follow-up going, hey, wait a second, this is a pretty good point. What the hell do you mean? This doesn't make any sense. None of them.
Not a one of them. Are they all that stupid or are they all that in the tank? That'd be a pretty good game show. I'd watch that game show because the answer is unclear to me. By the way, according to a CBS News reporter, and he's a former president of the White House Correspondents Association, Steve Portnoy, if you're wondering where Biden is deriving the authority to do this with the student loans, it comes, he says, Biden is employing a post-9-11 law that allows for debt cancellation, quote, in connection with a war or other military operation or national emergency, end quote. Now, what is the emergency? COVID-19, according to a memo issued by the Department of Education yesterday. Honestly, that's it. You can look up the menu, the, uh, the memo yourself, the authority. It's linked there at the uh, ed.edu.gov.gov website. But it really is. It's absolutely amazing. It's an emergency. A national emergency. You want to talk about why it's important to write specific language right there. Honestly, if that's the text, entire text of the, the section of the bill, which it could be if you've ever read legislation, quote, in connection with a war or other military operation or natural emer- national emergency. That uh, or national emergency thing could give a lot of cover to Joe Biden to do this. All the people out there saying it's wildly unconstitutional. I don't know. I'm not convinced. Not because a plain reading of the Constitution goes, well, that makes perfect sense. But because the poorly written, and this would be if it's a post 9-11 law, In the immediate aftermath of 9-11, the Republicans controlled Congress for most of the... the One, Jim Jeffords, I think it was, switched parties and gave control of the Senate to Democrats after a while. But I think it was Jim... No, maybe it was uh, Lincoln Chafee. Somebody switched parties and gave Democrats parties. But Republicans had control. Republicans had influence. Somebody could have said, what do you mean, or national emergency that's a little bit broad in connection with war okay in connection with war that does it all right or other military operation is unnecessary because it's war other military operation could be that the national guard needs to move some troops somewhere from another place so let's order that and let's forgive a billion dollars in loans no can't do that or national emergency and national emergency is so broad that it should never have been included But that is a so-called loophole. Democrats always decry loopholes in the tax code. There are loopholes in everything, actual real loopholes. These things, these technicalities where they go, well, this is certainly not in keeping with the spirit of the piece of legislation. But it is a big enough loophole you could drive a truck through. Well, nobody governs by the spirit of the law. And if these idiot Republicans in Washington learn anything from this, which I doubt that they will, let it be that you write expressly specific language into legislation. Do not leave room for loopholes. And if, you, there's another, if there's a need for a national emergency loan forgiveness, then you pass a new piece of legislation specifically about that. You don't leave these gaping holes in existing bills and laws for future presidents to take advantage of for their own political advantage. Another self-inflicted wound from Republicans. 
some bad news is breaking bad news or whatever, however you prefer. <laughs> Good news, I suppose, if you don't want to like risk it. That diplomacy by Dennis Rodman is never a particularly good route to take. <laughs> you think with all the student loan debt we'd have, we'd have educated people in the country. But Dennis Rodman was uh, apparently working on a, a, a mission to Moscow to help free WNBA player Brittany Griner. I know she's always referred to as uh, WNBA star. I don't know that to be true. Having never heard of her until she got arrested for trying to smuggle marijuana into Russia, uh, I I don't know that she's any good or not. So I I don't, I choose not to refer to her as star. Just like I refuse to turn to anybody who, you know, any chef. He's a celebrity chef. Why is he a celebrity chef? Well, he once appeared on uh, an episode of Guy Fieri's uh, grocery store games. That doesn't make him a celebrity chef. It doesn't mean he works at a Bennigan's. It doesn't make him. I don't even know if Bennigan still exists, but I always liked the name. And they had a good Monte Cristo. But it, it doesn't make them a celebrity chef, okay? Having made a sandwich on TV once does not make you a celebrity chef. I've appeared on television before. I am not a celebrity. So they always say she's a WNBA star. Maybe she is. Maybe she's the greatest WNBA star ever. But I doubt that because I think that's somebody called Swoops, Cheryl Swoops, I think. If you ask me to name a second WNBA player, it's Cheryl Swoops. And the only reason I know the first one, Brittany Kreiner, is because she got arrested for having cannabis weed in, uh, in Russia. So I don't know if she's a star or not. Anyway, Dennis Rodman was going to try and pull off uh, Jesse Jackson. There was some Americans held in Iran back, uh, <clears throat> I think it was in the 80s. Not not the Americans held in Iran in the early 80s, but in the late 80s. And uh, because Jesse Jackson was, I think he was running for president in 88. And to try and humiliate Ronald Reagan, they invited Jesse Jackson over to come and pick up the American who was being held. And at much fanfare, the media, of course, hyped it. Jesse Jackson was able to secure the... No, the, the release was secured. Jesse Jackson was able to ride on a plane to and have the, the person who was in custody ride on a plane back with them. He didn't negotiate the release or anything like that. They just wanted to stick it to the Republican, which is fine, international intrigue. That's the way the, the world works. We're all big boys, and this is a big country. We can understand it, but... When it comes to Dennis Miller, he's a little bit different story. He's actually was able to get things done over in North Korea, not because he's so brilliant. He doesn't strike anybody as that, but because he was actual um, acquaintances. Hard to say if he's a friend, but acquaintance with Kim Jong-un, right? The dictator over there in North Korea. And if you want to apparently Kim is uh, obsessed with basketball, particularly NBA, the Chicago Bulls. So Dennis Rodman, I don't think Jordan or Pippen are really short for cash. Maybe Horace Grant, you could get over there, a couple other people. But Dennis Rodman was a pretty, is the biggest name after Pippen and Jordan. So him going over there a couple times, like, well, this is great. He brought people with him. I'm sure that they uh, 
all got paid quite well to go over there and do some basketball exhibitions. And so he had a relationship, you can call it a friendship or not, with Kim Jong-un to get things done. Not the case with Russia. I don't think that there's a whole bunch of... uh, a whole bunch of people sitting around going, uh, well, Vladimir Putin loves Dennis Rodman. I don't think Vladimir Putin loves much about anything except for maybe money and power and Vladimir Putin. So the, the cachet is gone. So his mission to go over and try to secure her release from a nine-year prison sentence has failed. What's going to have to happen? I, I don't have a vested interest. I think that this woman, her prison sentence is ridiculously far too long. For for what she did, nine and a half years is obscene. But she did break the law. There's no question she broke the law. So you should not release or trade a drug trafficker, an arms dealer, a murderer, or anything like that to people who Russia want back for somebody who got caught with weed and another American they accuse of being a spy. You just shouldn't. That being said, Joe Biden was part of the administration that gave up six terrorists for Bo Bergdahl, a guy who had deserted the military and uh, went walk, I don't know what the hell he went on, walkabout or whatever over in Afghanistan. And we gave up six terrorist leaders, five of whom I believe have returned to terrorism for this guy. And uh, so I wouldn't put anything past this administration because anybody associated with the past administration is wildly terrible and easily going to be a, uh, a horrible president. Anyway, I just wanted to play that or tell you that just in case you had that. I, I want to talk a little bit about monkeypox really quickly. Because the, uh, not because it's, a, well, it's technically an epidemic and the definition of an epidemic is pretty pretty loose and there's a pretty low bar. But because... The real epidemic that is monkeypox is not something that the left-wing establishment, the progressive liberal establishment in this country, will acknowledge. They're doing the exact same damn things they did when I was a kid about AIDS. AIDS is coming to get you. AIDS is everywhere. AIDS is coming to get Don't answer the... If you're not expecting somebody, don't answer the door. It could be AIDS coming to get you. You're not only sleeping with everybody who answers the door, but you're sleeping with everybody who ever answers a door or something like that. They made up all of these rules like, oh, for the last seven years, it's going to be horrible. So make sure that you laminate yourself for that because it's an equal opportunity killer and it wasn't an equal opportunity killer there had to it was most prevalent most transmissible through a certain type of uh, sex act figure it out (laughs) you're adults there could be kids listening figure it out i think you got it so if you engage in that sex act with your your odds go up exponentially of getting aids they didn't want to say that. Why? Because it would stigmatize. Stigmatize that community. It's not a community. It's a lifestyle, okay? Not a com- community is your neighborhood that you live in. At least it used to be. It's what it should be. It's where you live. Your neighbors are your community. Now they're like, don't talk to your neighbors. They're probably right-wingers. But if you're gay, identify with somebody who lives 3,000 miles away who's also gay way more than you do with the people who live next door to you. Don't talk to them. They're probably Trump supporters. It's insane what they've done to words. That being said, that's what they've done to words. 
And so they say, started back in the 90s, we don't want to stigmatize the gay community. Realistically, you should stigmatize the gay community, not to stigmatize them, but to educate them. Focus all, telling straight high school students that AIDS is coming to get them is like telling people that a meteorite is going to hit you on the head and kill you. So wear a helmet all the time. Um, probably not. The odds against that are really, 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 really slim. But if you, you know, live in a meteor field, then your odds go up exponentially. If you live a certain way and engage in certain things, then your chances go up exponentially. The vast majority of transmissions of HIV could be traced back to it. This is going to be... It's going to be controversial only because the truth can be controversial. They uh, can be traced back to someone who is gay, engaging in gay sex. could be bisexual, whatever. But that's just the way it is. Because it has to be put... The AIDS virus is very fragile. Outside of the bloodstream... It doesn't live for very long. So figure out again how the transmission through intercourse has to do with bloodstream on your own. That being said, people died unnecessarily while being quote-unquote protected by Democrats from stigma. We're protecting you from stigma. You're not protecting them from AIDS. You're not protecting them from HIV. You're not protecting them from the death from HIV. But... You're protecting them from the stigma, so they will be able to go to their grave prematurely, secure in the knowledge that nobody judged them harshly for anything or something. I don't know what they were hoping to accomplish. Seems pretty uh, vapid and evil to me. But then again, we're dealing with Democrats. That's where they live. Now you smash cut to this year and monkeypox, the exact same thing. Does everybody who has mon- is everybody who has monkeypox gay or have engaged in gay relationship? No. Just ninety five plus up to ninety eight percent, maybe ninety nine percent of the people are and have, which should be enough for adults to look at it and say, okay, anybody can get monkeypox, sure, fine, all well and good. But there's one group of people who are likely to get it more so than others. Maybe we should. I don't know, tell them, educate them, warn them, get them going. No, 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 can't do that. Listen to this CNN report on monkeypox. It's about a minute, 20 seconds long, but it is politically correct to the nth degree. They went to a pride celebration in South Carolina. I don't know, maybe I thought pride month was June but uh, I guess you can have pride anytime. They, well, they talked to somebody named Jenny, who's a big, hairy dude, about it in the piece. But they want to make sure that you know that if you if somebody knocks at your door and you're not expecting them, there's a decent chance it could be monkeypox because monkeypox goes after everybody, not just gay people, even though it's mostly gay people. This morning, new action to try to slow the rising case count of monkeypox. Over the weekend, the White House began its pilot program sending 50,000 doses of the monkeypox vaccine to LGBTQ events nationwide. Diane Gallagher is in Charlotte, North Carolina this morning, which held pride events throughout the weekend. What did you see there, Diane? 
Yeah, you know, John, the Pride Festival ended this morning here in Charlotte, but it is only the beginning of the Biden administration's efforts to accelerate the monkeypox vaccine and the federal response to the outbreak. The North Carolina City's Pride Festival is the launch site of a Biden administration pilot program to send 50,000 doses of the monkeypox vaccine to LGBTQ-centered events like Pride around the country. But something that is bothering people at Pride? We're very aware of not stigmatizing it as just a gay man's disease, just like HIV was in the 80s and 90s. Men who have sex with men and transgender people do make up the majority of monkeypox cases right now which is why they are being prioritized with the limited vaccine supply. However, monkeypox is not a sexually transmitted infection, and any person can get it from prolonged, close, typically skin-to-skin -skin contact with an infected person. So if the Biden administration wants its outreach to be a success, celebrating while educating without discriminating is the only way to approach it. It's the only way to approach it. It's not even, that's what experts say. That's what the reporter says. That's what the reporter declares. This is the only way to approach it. So don't get those deep, long, staring into the eye, 5, 10, 15 minute long handshakes where you're rubbing each other cheek to cheek as well. And don't take all your clothes off in a totally heterosexual way and engage in long, prolonged hugs with strangers. It's not a sexually transmitted disease. You just have to take your clothes off and rub your body all over somebody else's, all right? Randomly, uh, usually dudes, and uh, generally fluids are... But don't, it's not a sexually transmitted... Stop thinking so suburban. Don't be so suburban. This is going to cause more people to get monkeypox. This is this report. Oh, we've it's it's like over in the UK when they're advertising don't forget to get your annual pap smear to trans women who don't have the equipment to need one, but they have in the name of inclusion, they have to pretend. Right? They have to pretend. They're advertising all these sorts of things cuz they're it's so stupid. They've become so stupid. We've become so stupid as a species. That were out there pushing this garbage, going, oh, you know, anybody can get monkeypox. Yeah, anybody could get monkeypox, particularly if uh, you're you're a guy having sex with another guy, or you know, it could be just prolonged exposure of the skin. You take off all your clothes and you wrestle around with a dude for a good twenty minutes, and that person has monkeypox. There's a decent chance you will also come down with monkeypox. So there are two ways to do this. And all the outrage was the left saying, we can't ask gay men to stop going to orgies. We can't ask them to stop going to bathhouses where they engage in anonymous sex with multiple partners over the course of the week. And you read some of these stories, and you're like, well, this guy went to a fire island or whatever, and uh, he had a bunch of sex with a whole bunch of people, a bunch of strangers, six, seven people. And uh, he got monkeypox. So it's impossible for him to know where he got monkeypox. Well, yeah, it's impossible. You can say it's not the Piggly Wiggly. You could probably say it wasn't the train. It wasn't the. Uh, it wasn't in the office. You can narrow it down pretty good. You can't know which of the seven guys, and because you don't know their names, so you can't track them down to see if they have monkeypox too to find out whether you got it. And then you got to tell the other ones you probably gave it to them. 
but you got a pretty good idea that you didn't go to Subway for lunch and come down with monkeypox. You probably got it at the uh, the massive orgy you attended, but you can't say that because it's stigmatizing. So when eventually it will make its way into the heterosexual world because there are enough bisexual men who will infect women and then it will go from there. It won't ever get the prevalence because I don't think, I think that uh, promiscuity is more prevalent in certain areas of the country, in certain segments of the country than in others. But it will make its way. That's how it's gotten there so far. If you can't be honest about it, then what's the point in even reporting on it, I ask you. But uh, yeah, it's a major league mystery. How we, I tell you right now, though, every child that comes down with monkeypox, there needs to be a police investigation into how that child got monkeypox. There needs to be unequivocal no matter what's going the circumstance, maybe there there is prolonged hand holding while walking through the park, but otherwise everybody knows that there needs to be a serious criminal investigation into how a child got monkeypox. But again, you wouldn't want to stigmatize child molesters or something like that. In other news out there, Florida, one of the uh, big races that people. People are looking, as far as gubernatorial races, there are a few gubernatorial, here in Maryland, people aren't really paying attention to it. It's, it could go either way. Wes Moore has some problems with some truth-telling Democrat, but the current governor, the worthless Larry Hogan, the lizard-like, frog-like Larry Hogan, is not going to help the Republican nominee because he doesn't like him is a total jackass move but it's par for the course for larry hogan if you follow larry hogan's career if it ain't about larry hogan he's not interested in it but uh the other races that are being watched in the country michigan tudor dixon taking on gretchen whitmer um i tell you up in northern michigan as you drive into my dad's house there's the a big F Joe Biden flag. There's a lot of Trump flags and signs. I don't know who's going to see him in my dad's neighborhood, if you can call it a neighborhood, because literally you, you, you won't see neighbors very often. There are like houses up there that they're not abandoned. It's like people just come up for three weekends a year and that's it. And they can afford to, to have a place up there. Um, but it, there's not a lot of foot traffic, not a lot of driving around traffic. So like a lawn sign for Trump, and there's a lot of them. Not really going to get a whole... I didn't see one single thing for for Biden, by the way, except for F. Joe Biden and, and then what Biden stands for, which was also obscene. But not a lot of Biden fans up there. It's my kind of country. But they have a governor's race between two women up there, Gretchen Whitmer, who ran four years ago. Gretchen Whitmer ran four years ago under the slogan of Fix the Damn Roads. Fix the Damn Roads. And then she spent her time shutting down certain aisles of Target stores and certain aisles of Walmarts and Myers stores and everything, making sure that you couldn't buy seeds at the height of the pandemic because Gretchen Whitmer had determined that that was non-essential. Yeah, the ability to plant a garden in the summer was non-essential. Don't be feeding yourself. Be a slave to the state. She's a horrible, horrible creature. What she didn't do was fix the damn roads. Well... Now, driving through Michigan, you would think that it was Europe in 1946. 
There is construction everywhere. They're fixing the damn roads. Why? Well, because she's got to be able to say she did something that didn't suck, doesn't she? She's got to be able to say she did something that didn't suck. So I'm fixing the roads. I've fixed the roads. But what she's done is irritate everybody because she's fixing as many of the roads as possible, but you can't fix the whole road. You can only fix smaller sections of it. That still a small section of it means, and since she wants to do it statewide so she can be seen as having done something, what that means is everywhere you go, there's traffic delays. Whereas if she had worked on this, like she said she would over the course of her four years, she would have, there would have been a shutdown here and then a shutdown there and a shutdown. Traffic would have been able to flow. They would have been able to manage it. But now she's got to fix all the potholes. She's got to do it all quickly so she can take, try to take credit for having done it. And she's disrupting everything. She's really ticking everybody off. So it'll be interesting because the media absolutely loves Gretchen Whitmer. And so can they drag her across the finish line? Now you go down to Georgia, where if you're going to drag Stacey Abrams across the finish line, you're going to need some sort of large motor vehicle. That is the other another race that they're looking at, because Stacey Abrams was made into St. Stacey Abrams by the liberal media. She was a pioneer in election denial. Just while Hillary Clinton was the Rosa Parks of election denial but Stacey Abrams took it to an art form she monetized it and made a fortune she's now filthy rich because she claims she actually won the 2018 election even though she lost by 55,000 votes not even a small margin not even wasn't even close her claim is uh, she bases her claim on well the they disenfranchised 50,000 people okay even if your lie is true, you would have had to have gotten every single one of those 50,000 votes that you claim were illegally purged from the voter rolls. They would have all had to show up. They would have all had to vote for you 100%. And they would have had to have brought 10% more people with them in order for you to tie, Stacy. But nobody ever bothers to do that. Rachel Maddow sits there and kisses her butt. Oh, she's so wonderful. Everybody at MSNBC, CNN, they interview her in glowing terms. It's garbage. He's running. She's running against the incumbent governor down there who Donald Trump hates. This is what bothers me about Donald Trump, of the things that bother me about Donald Trump. It is that you're going to have to... Get over some of your dislike for people, okay? It's that simple. You're going to have to look at Brian Kemp, and I understand you hate him, but you've got to go, Brian Kemp is still better than Stacey Abrams. Better not only for the people of Georgia, it's better for the country that Stacey Abrams be vanquished, blah, blah, blah. Whether or not Donald Trump can do that, I don't know. I actually don't think he can. But it should be done. He's got to go, Donald Trump's got to go there to campaign for Herschel Walker. He should throw in some, don't forget to Brian Kemp's, vote for Brian Kemp's into the speech as well. We'll see. It depends. I don't think Donald Trump will go campaign for anybody who's down in the polls, to be honest with you. I just don't see that happening. He should do it. He's raised enough money to be able to afford to buy some ads too. It'll be interesting to see if he spends any of the money that he's raised 
to help anybody or what he does with that money. And then you go to Florida, where they just had a primary. It was Nikki Fink versus, Nikki Fink is the agriculture commissioner. She's elected statewide Democrat versus Charlie Crist, the former governor, former, is a Republican governor. He, he ran for the House of Representatives as a Republican, didn't win. Then he ran for the House of Representatives as a Democrat and won. Now he ran for the nomination. The Democrats were governor. He won that. And now he's the nominee. He went on MSNBC yesterday to explain why he's running. You can see why Ron DeSantis probably isn't too concerned. Listen to this guy. Imagine this guy was somebody who 10 years ago touted himself as a conservative Republican. He is on the battlefield of hate. I am on the battlefield of love. There's faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's in Corinthians, in the Bible. I'm going to beat him because I'm running on love, and love always wins. And if he wants to run on hate and culture wars and dividing people and making people hate each other, that's his turf. It's not mine. I'm on a different plane. I'm on a different turf. And it's what Floridians deserve. <laughs> run it vote love baby vote lo- really vote love that's what you got that's what you're bringing to the day vote love that's what people want vote love all right good luck with that how about vote for the popular governor who doesn't kowtow to the liberal establishment okay how about that one god i, I just sometimes you just get the perfect opponent and it makes everything in life a tap and putt Ron DeSantis is a very lucky man. All right, that is it. That's it for today. That's it for this week. These one-day work weeks are wearing me out. <laughs> That's actually two days. Tonight at midnight at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast and at DerekHunter.locals.com, there will be a new week in effing review that uh, I will review this effing week that was. But I went on long today because, well, it's been a while. A lot to say. So thank you for listening. Thanks for supporting. Go check out the uh, the, the Week in Effin Review. Sign up for it, if you will. You don't even have to listen if you don't like obscenity. And uh, enter the contest and all of that. And otherwise, I'll see you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>